It's the Locked On Canes podcast where it's all about the you. My name is Fred Perdue, and I'm joined by my co-host, Cam Underwood. That sounded really good. Let me say that one more time. I'm joined yeah, by my it. co-host, Cam Underwood. What's going on, Cam? Yes, sir. Official in the building. So we're ready for another day of wonderful podcasting. Definitely. Definitely, man. I mean, it's the you is something that I, I've really held up to a high standard. And now I feel like we before we were had a little bit of a lull. And, you know, Manny Diaz said, hey. We got to ramp it up in practice. So I had to ramp it up just a little bit. Had to go get a little help. So this is great to do. So we have, before we jump into things, we, we're going to talk about a little news and notes, some things going around the, around the team. We'll talk a little press conference because we all know we love the quotables. We love the Bill Belichick-like quotables where they say a lot of nothing at all. But we'll analyze. We'll, we love, you guys love that kind of thing. So uh, we'll talk about that. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get into some more things. So. Uh, before we do that, make sure you go follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Canes. You can go follow myself on Twitter at Fred Purdue CFB and Cam. Where can they find you? At Underwood Sports. So now that we've gotten the house cleaning out of the way, and before we do that, I gotta do it. I gotta do it. Make fans. Make sure you send us your your questions, your comments. Leave us a like. Uh, Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you you find you have your listening pleasure. Make sure you do that. Make sure you leave that hashtag uh, LOC mailbag in your tweets for us and leave your questions for us. And we'll answer those on Friday with the mailbag section before we make our picks. So we want to hear from you now. So we have some news and notes. Let's talk. Let's talk injuries first off, because we want to know who's here and who's not. Let's get that. Let's get that completely completely correct so um we have brevin jordan we talked about his injury and uh and he was kind of was limping a little bit on a little bit of a cane that's never good but he's now being upgraded to being a game time decision uh i don't think i'm i'm not really sure if i like that too much but knowing what i have behind him and will mallory i think i'm okay what say you yeah, I mean, it was yeah said today uh, by Manny Diaz after practice that Brevin Jordan is a game-time decision. Uh, was uh, like a knee injury kind of thing towards in the fourth quarter at Florida State, it looked like. Uh, even though Manny didn't say that, that's me looking at the game and seeing what happened, uh, saying what it is. So um, at first I said that I want him to sit out, Brevin, so you get the extra week of rest. But uh, a bunch of people uh, shot back and said, Louisville's probably the toughest game that we have left on the schedule. So if he can go, he needs to go. Uh, and, again, like you and I both know, what is Brevin Jordan? The best tight end in America. Hey, say so it one more time. Say it the one best, more time. The best tight end in America, number nine, Brevin Jordan. Um, so, yeah, you uh, really want to have him out there. He brings a dynamic element to the game uh, and to the, uh, you know, just to the team in general, both as a pass catcher and a uh, blocker. So uh, I hope that he's able to be out there. Um, and then you can thug it out with a bye week to rest. And then coming off of that bye week, you have – uh, FIU, I want to say. So, yeah, that's another bye week where you can rest him. So, uh, you know, I would like him to be 100% healthy, uh, but he's not. So, hopefully he's able to play in this game, get this win, and then get a couple weeks off. Yeah, Brevin has been everything you've pretty much wanted. He's actually shown me more in his repertoire this year. And, you know, I didn't expect him to be much of a blocker, and that – has been something I think that may have been a little bit that's worn on him a little bit because you have to be very physical to be an inline tight end on and and just play dirty in the in the on the ground game because not many guys especially tight ends can do that nowadays. I mean when I when just 
guys that can do it off the top of my head, the Gronks of the world, uh, those guys don't exist much. I mean, nowadays they're glorified. Tight ends are glorified receivers. They're 6'3 to 6'5, like 230 to 250. If you have good hands, mismatch problem, you know, but you don't ever see a guy that, that's what I call a dual threat tight end. I know that, that I've kind of coined that term, dual threat tight end, like a pass catcher, catcher, as well as a guy that can go and get dirty in the run game. I love those guys. They're very rare. Uh, Brevin is one of those, and I think that's going to help him going forward. But also, if you're going to be that guy, you have to probably put a little bit of weight on and uh, make sure you're getting good with the strength and conditioning coach and, and the recovery team because otherwise you're just going to be a broken mess uh, late in the season. And this is that point of the year where that war of attrition starts to take hold. Yeah, and, you know, the, the beautiful thing is even if Brevin is not the biggest physical tight end in the world, because he's not, um, you can still have angles, you know, e- even in the blocking game. You know, you can have a crack back, you have a wham block, different kind of things where, you know, an arc block where you're not necessarily just going up against the biggest guy in, you know, in the world, not a Mount Cody or a, a Fridge Perry, you know, and then you have to man up on him. Like, you can use the, you know, angles and things just like you would use the passing game. So, yeah, Brevin has really stepped up uh, as a blocker this year. He's really, really done well with that. And we already know that he's a dynamic pass catcher, you know, since he had the game winner in 2018 against Florida State. Ha-ha. So, uh, you know, uh, he's still able to do all of those things and more. So, yeah, he's really good. Now, we talk about his injury. Let's say, worst-case scenario, Will Mallory is the backup. He gets his opportunity. You know, Dan Enos talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago saying, you know, we've been waiting on Will Mallory to have a what we call a breakout game. Uh, well, it's hard to have one of those, those because of Brevin Jordan being in the starting lineup. But let's just say he – he gets in, and, and we might have to see a Michael Irving, uh, the second sighting. I, I thought that would have happened a few years ago. But nonetheless, if it happens, how do, how do the Canes integrate these two players into this offense? I think that you use Mallory in a lot of the similar ways that you would Jordan. Uh, maybe you put him down the seam a little bit more because Mallory's 6'5", and Jordan's 6'2". And, um, and Michael Irving II has played a lot. He's in there as a blocking back or a blocking tight end more. Uh, but he's played a lot of snaps this year already. Uh, and tight end coach Stephen Field has talked about his development. Um, so I'm, I'm really comfortable with that. Um, you know, using both of those guys, maybe even putting in a Brian Palendi in a blocking situation because that's really what he's good at because um, Palendi's not really a pass catcher. Uh, so if you go to a three tight end look, you can still do those things. But then, yeah, you just leverage, uh, you know, those targets like we talked about. Brevin Jordan got thrown uh, eight targets against Florida State. Instead, you're probably only going to target the tight ends maybe four or five times, and then you give the wide receivers and running backs those additional touches. So I think that we have the players to be able to still utilize multiple formations, still do the things that we want to do on offense, but then you just distribute the ball a little bit differently if you're Jaron Williams at quarterback. Now, uh, the good, that's the good, uh, I think, worst-case scenario, and, and, and that could be that the tight end is really a non-factor in this offense. Uh, I can't be too hurt about that, especially with the weapons we have. I just know that the offense, if I can get what I saw from the offensive line uh, against Florida State, if I can get that the rest of the year, I'd be more willing to flex my tight end out a little bit more instead of keeping – two, maybe even three tight ends in the run game, that'd be great. Um, 
But I think this this team is kind of turning a corner. But I'm not wanting to get too happy. I know I put out an I know there we put out a nice little um, challenge to to Louisville. Louisville, go check it out. Uh, go check out the Twitter at Locked On Canes. You'll understand this. Um, just bring it by a certain somebody. But you know. Um, but that's that's rather here nor there. Uh, we're gonna kind of fo- we want to focus a little bit more on what the players and the coaches had to say. So we'll be, we'll get into that in a sec. All right, so uh, press conferences. Everyone wants to hear the soundbite. Everybody wants to talk to the players. So we've had some some nice quotables. Manny Diaz got a chance to to address the media uh, today as well as Shaq Quarterman. Uh, what were your thoughts today from from anything that you've heard today? Man, you know, honestly, I was working on a different project. I didn't even see the ones from after practice today. Um, so that that's really uh, your providence. What did you see? What did you hear? Uh, you know that you wanted to, or that caught your attention. I guess. Okay, so Shaq Quarterman. You know, there's there's two sides to Shaq Quarterman. There's the beast that you see on the field, and then there's this nice guy that he just knows how to turn it off. And it's weird because he knows how to turn it off in such a way. He's and I and I know you know I'm the resident Patriot fan here, so I, I get Bro, where he stop get. with these Patriots already, fam. <laughs> like every analogy, like you get on my nerves, like Bill Simmons talking about. Oh, you want to know why Michael Jordan was great? Let me tell you about Paul Pierce. Nah, bro, this is about the Canes, man. Nobody want to hear about that, bro. <laughs> So I think uh, Shaq Quarterman has learned a little bit from the media department, and also I think he's learned a little bit from from the one that has has coined the term "say a lot" without really saying much, and he's done that so well this season. I it actually is kind of annoying because he says so little, and he just but he it, it's and he keeps such a straight face about it, you know. But he was talking about Senior Day and how this is going to be his last two raw in hard rock and it actually brought a little bit of a tear to my eye because I don't really get too too attached to a lot of these players because they they come they go they don't stay long I mean this is the University of Miami we we have great linebackers year in and year out so I don't really get attached to a lot of these guys but Shaq Quarterman is one of those guys he looks like a Miami linebacker he plays like a Miami linebacker and he has that passion like one and it was it's been great for the last four years having him there uh he one of the first things they talked about with him was uh, how he somewhat had a distraction. I'm still trying to figure out what that distraction was uh, going in, but he flipped the switch after the uh, about midway through the season after the Virginia Tech loss, which was an ugly one. And he's been a different beast ever since. And and you can tell because, I mean, the aggression that he's been playing with reminds me of Shaq from the last couple of years. Uh, but he had a night, he had a, sm- a really smug smirk on his face after uh, they asked what he was doing. He was very, he didn't really have much to say. What say you? Anything that, any guesses? Nah, man, you know, like, look, all I will say is this. I went to the University of Miami. I remember what it was like to be 19 and 20 and 21 years old uh, and the stupid, stupid, stupid stuff that I did at that school at that age. And, you know, these these guys are still kids. You know what I mean? So it was probably just something, um, some youthful indiscretions or maybe just a little bit of a lack of focus because that'll happen, you know. And, um, yeah, hopefully he's rebounded from that. Uh, and now that you actually mentioned it, uh, I did see Mike Pinckney's. Um, 
interview after practice when he was asked about, you know, the legacy that he and Shaq and this whole senior class is leaving everything and talking about being a class to, to settle the program down and point Miami back mm-hmm. in the right and proper direction. And I think that that's true. I think that is what this class has done. Uh, obviously, you raise the floor uh, from, you know, just the depths that we saw with the Al Golden regime just because – and you and I talked about this off, off mic yesterday – if Al Golden would have changed his defensive coordinator, the sky was the limit for this program because the offense when Al Golden was here did numbers. So that didn't happen. And the, the bottom fell out. Obviously, you saw 58 nothing against Clemson. This class that came in the year after that has really settled this program down, raised the floor of expectations, and hopefully pointed Miami in the right direction. So, you know, guys like uh, Mike Pinckney and Shaq Quarterman and Pat Bethel, who turned 22 today. Matter of fact, happy birthday to him. Scott Patchett in that same five-year class, so he was even a year older. Those guys have been around. They've seen a lot. They've done a lot for this program. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because when I was listening to you talk, you're talking about, yeah, you know, I don't really get attached to these kids, you know, or these players in this program because the nature of college sports is that it is transitory. You're here for a time, and then you leave. And here, yeah, you did really get attached to these linebackers because from the first day they set foot on campus – they were the face of this program. They all started for four years. Zach McLeod is sitting out this year so he can start his fourth year next year as a fifth-year senior. But they've just been ubiquitous. They've always been here uh, since they got on campus. So, yeah, it is going to be weird seeing them in their last game coming up at Hard Rock this Saturday. But, you know, I hope that everybody shows up, and I, I expect them to give their best effort because it's going to be their last time playing in Hard Rock Stadium. So it got me to thinking when, when we said last game for these linebackers, especially Especially Shaq, because he's the alpha male in this one. Where do you rank Shaq Quarterman among the my the greats? The, I mean, the Vilmas, the Ray Lewis's, the Michael Barrows. I mean, we could go. A, I could go a long time with this list, but just for for argument's sakes, where do you where do you put Shaq Quarterman? Is he slightly above Denzel Perryman, but slightly below the DJ Williams and company, or is he? up there with the greats i mean the the ray lewis's the michael barrels is he up there with the dan morgans where where does he sit first of all no i'm sorry i love Shaq, and he's done a lot for this uh this program but he's not in that top tier so you're you're dan morgan you're ray lewis you're john vilma you're michael barrow your nate webster is in that top group because he was you know all-american and uh biggies player of the year uh dj williams if you're bringing the outside linebackers too i mean there's just a, a, a class of player that is. That's why they call above. us linebacker you, baby. That's why they you know call what I'm us. Saying? I mean, like, look, and I know people are saying, oh, what about you're listening to this saying, oh, what about Sean Spence? What about, what about, what about? That's how many linebackers we had at such an elite level mm-hmm. here at Miami. I think that Shaq is clearly a level below that. Um, and I think that is partly because the program didn't win as much with him here as with these other guys. But also, there's just been times when, you know, his pass coverage, to me, has not been where it needed to be. And he's an amazing blitzer. He's a wonderful run stopper. If you put somebody, you know, crossing his face on – if they're playing zone and, someone, you know, a tight end is running a, a drag route across his face, he's going to make them pay. But he wasn't as – dynamic sideline to sideline he wasn't making all of those plays that those other guys that I listed did so I would put him clearly in that second tier of uh, linebacker that's come through the program here in Miami but that's still high high praise because there's many people who are even rated higher than Shaq coming out of high school who went to other schools who would 
kill to have the kind of career that he's had. Definitely. Uh, I he, He's squarely in the middle. He's not great, but he's not bad. I oh, mean, no, not and, and that's no disrespect to him because, you know, if I put him in the in the hall of of, good, of really good, of really great, even hall of fame of a lot of other programs, he's probably a top three to five guy for all time. For some, I mean, even for the the schools like Penn State, he's up there. I mean, as far as linebacker production, because he's a great tackler. He's and you, it goes beyond linebacker goes beyond stats. That's the one thing I've always said. Certain positions go beyond the stats. Linebacker is that. He, you're the quarterback of the defense. You are the leader of this, the unquestioned leader of the team. And he has that that intangible that's going to keep him alive when it comes to the next level. Uh, I think he, I'd actually say he's a little bit below Denzel Perryman uh, as far as a player. Denzel is a little bit better in pass coverage. Not much, but we're splitting hairs there. And I, that may be a little bit more because I've seen him in the at the NFL level and seeing how he's evolved. But he's that kind of player. He's he's a three down linebacker, but you don't necessarily want him out there in coverage much. Uh, but really great player, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a thing. I think it's gonna be uh, for a lot of him as well as a lot of his teammates to see him walk across that field and 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 really understand what it's like to have been a Miami Hurricane for four years because he he's one of those guys that. He he eats, sleeps, breathes Miami, and he is a Miami Hurricane through and through. And I, I it was a pleasure having him. Quite honestly, no, absolutely. And he's been just a, I mean, a wonderful representative of this program. He went to ACC kickoff twice as the defensive player to speak uh, to the assembled media there. Uh, you know, so yeah, he represents himself well. He represents Miami well. Uh, and you know, the other thing that I was going to mention is he's always been there because he hasn't been injured. You know, yes. Like, Guys are in and out and, oh, okay, what about this suspension or what about that ankle injury for a game? Game in and 48 game straight games, was it? I'm saying, like, we're coming up on that now. He's, I mean, depending on this year, he could start 50 games in a row, and he's always been there. He's not the guy, like, you know, if you even look to this season, Mike Pinckney missed a game with injury. He missed part of another game, and, you know, you had a, another player take over for him. I'm not going to talk much about that, but my point is, is – Pinkney even was out for a little bit. McLeod is redshirt. You have these other guys, even in the past, you know, Dan Morgan, he had some concussion issues. If you look at, you know, Nate Webster, if you look at these other guys, they weren't necessarily always, always Uh there. Shaq Quarterman, ever since the first snap of the first game his freshman year, has been on that field for the Miami Hurricanes. And there is something to be said about consistent availability and the fact that his body, he obviously maintained it really well and got a little bit lucky, obviously. But being out there and being healthy every week, week in and week out is a tribute to his preparation, his work in the weight room, his work in the training room, just to be able to be out there because you have a player of that caliber. You don't ever want to be without them. And he's not, uh, you know, missed a snap basically. And for me, as we kind of go into, we're going to go talk a little bit of Jaron in a minute, but you know, for me, when I, when I think of Shaq Quarterman, he was talking about, uh, being a senior and being that leader, and he's actually he was actually encouraging players to stay and and stay for their senior year because you don't get this opportunity more than once. And I know that's like one of those cliches for college athletes. I want to get to the money. I want to go to the NFL. This is just a stepping stone. But you have to enjoy your college years because yes, the NFL is fun, and yes, you're playing with the big boys. But there's another side. There's an evil side to that thing where you know that business will eat you up, and if you're not as good as you think you are, 
it'll chew you up, spit you out, and no one will remember you. There are tons of, for every really good Miami player, and I'm not throwing shade at the program, but for every good Miami player, there's always been a guy that goes onto the NFL, he thinks he's better than what he was, and the NFL spits you right out. I mean, you, I even look at a, an Anthony Chicklow. Right now, he's going through the problems that he's going through, and he's no longer, right now, he's on, an, on the commissioner's exempt list. He may not play anymore for, for simple issues. It could be on the field or off the field. And, it, again, it's a, it's a crazy business. So enjoy the, the years that you have with your teammates. Uh, it's, it's something you just can't get back. Yeah, I mean, it is. And, you know, even though there are some players who might not meet their um, expectations when they get to the NFL, Miami guys do find a way to stick around. You know, everybody wants to lambast um, – Eric Flowers for mm-hmm. being such a bad first-round pick at left tackle for the Giants and everything. I saw four different threads praising him for his performance at left guard now for the Washington uh, football team. So, you know, the, even for somebody who you look at initially saying, oh, he's a bust, he's not going to make it, he's not going to be in this league, You Miami players have an ability to reinvent themselves and continue to find a role and carve out a niche for themselves in the uh, NFL. Look at Frank Gore. Frank Gore was a speed back coming into his freshman mm-hmm. year. He's torn his ACL three different times. He's about to be the third, uh, number three all-time rushing leader in NFL history. He's been in the league for like 47 years. You yeah. know what I mean? And <laughs> he does not, because if you go back and look at those films from when he was in college, his body and his game, uh, his, the way that he played, it's very different from what he does now because he doesn't have that blinding speed anymore. So he has to rely on that elite vision and body lean and, you know, things of that nature, which were still there when he was young. But he could put a foot in the ground and just run by you back when he was 19. He can't do that anymore. But he's still in the league playing for his, what, sixth team in his liberal Sixteen. How many years is he in? Fifteen. Something like that. Yeah. Sixteen. Yeah, he's been I mean, in the league that, for a while. What a Miami as a third round does. pick, by the way. As a third exactly. round pick, with uh, as I say, no knees. I mean, he's literally he's hanging on the thread, and his longevity has said so much. You know, um, he came very close to a Super Bowl. I, I wish he'd get that elusive one. That would validate his career big time. Uh, because no one expected this. I mean, he went from being, like you said, that speed back to being in a role where he's the power back in a mm-hmm. power run offense. I mean, I remember those days with Colin Kaepernick, even before that, where he they just leaned on him 20-20. He's the old school back, 20-25 carries a game, and you got to average four and a half, and I need three touchdowns for you. By the way, my quarterback's an average guy, and yeah, you got to carry this team. Even with Colin Kaepernick, it was one of those things where now you have a you have a guy in the backfield with you, but you're still having to be that guy. You have to set. He's a tone setter. That's what I call those big guys. I call them tone setters that can just take the pounding. And you know, it's one of those things. I I always say it's about Miami players is they're, they're tough nosed guys, and because they've gone through so much on and off the field, they just they're built different. They're just built different. But you know, a guy that's really been built different is Jaron Williams. You know, he talked about how his arm feels a lot better. He's gotten better mechanically. And throughout his press conference, I said, you know, he seems like he has high, his spirits are better uh, versus knowing he's been in and out of the lineup. I think he knows that right now he's he's not comfortable, but he's in a better place. And I think that's really helping him play a little bit more free, knowing that Nikosi Perry may not be, you know, breathing down his neck. 
I don't think that Perry was breathing down his neck anyway, honestly. And early in the year, Jaron Williams was not healthy because if everybody's talking about the way that he's playing now and throwing the ball and looking now, the only thing that you can pivot off of that and say, if now is healthy, what we saw earlier was not healthy. That has to back that point up. So even when he was unhealthy, Miami was not quick to go to Nikosi Perry. It took three interceptions and seven passes and a 28-0 hole against Virginia Tech. I'm sorry, 21-0 against Virginia Tech to go to the bench. And that was after, you know, a couple of games where, you know, he was completing a lot of passes but still throwing some interceptable balls and things like that. But Manny Diaz has been steadfast. Jaron is the guy. And I think that he knows that. And I think that the health of his body, especially his shoulder on his throwing arm, that's what's giving him confidence to move forward. So, you know, like we said, you know, Manny Diaz wants to take veiled shots at people like myself who said, I think that there's a problem with Jaron Williams throwing the deep ball. There was a problem with Jaron Williams throwing the deep ball early because he was unhealthy and his throwing shoulder was not where it needed to be. And the offensive line was not as good as it is now. Even though it's not great, it's much, much, much better. So now you get better blocking, you get great blitz pickup by DJ Dallas and time to throw. Yes, he looks a lot better. Yes, I'm very happy about it. But I can only sit here and say, if this is what a healthy Jaron Williams looks like, we can go watch the film from several games earlier in the year and easily surmise that he was not healthy. So I think that since his body is where it needs to be, yes, the job is his. And I don't think that there's really any question about that, whether I like it or not. Yeah, uh, you know, I think the his health has helped. I also think that uh, the mechanics, because I'm a quarterback guy, and, you know, when I look at the mechanics of a guy, I look at how his feet are, what, what does his release look like? Because when you have a hitch in that release, are your eyes downfield? All of these things matter. And because these things are huge – in the in the whole totality of the of the position, you have to be a almost perfect player. Being a quarterback, at least at the college level, you can win with a, with arm talent. But the really good ones, and I think Jaron can be a really good one. Uh, they have to they have to constantly work at their craft. And nowadays, it's a little bit easier because it's not like the quarterbacks of yesteryear where you couldn't you could get destroyed in the pocket. These guys are protected like nobody's business. You can't look at them wrong. You can't breathe on them, or they'll they'll just fifteen yard flag, ten yard flag. I mean they're I mean they're looking to throw it on you. So if your offensive line plays well for you, I mean you have deep shots like you saw to to D Wiggins. You see deep shots on those post routes all day long. And Miami has a speed to have guys to get downfield. They've always had these guys, but it's the offensive line to help out. And I think that hitch, he had a bit of a slight hitch in his release. I think he's cleaning that up and that does a world of difference. His footwork's pretty good, actually, uh, for a guy his size. He's about, what, 6'3", about 215, which is, that's pretty good size nowadays for a, for a quarterback. And his athleticism's pretty well. I've looked, I saw how he was able to be mobile in the pocket and, and I know when you hear mobile in the pocket, you, um, you start thinking Lamar Jackson or uh, Michael Vick or something. No, 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 no. Mobile in the pocket. Can you sidestep the rush? Can you step up and keep your eyes downfield? And that is a art form. There are very few guys that can actually do that because they get happy feet and they start their footwork is all over the place. Quarterback is played from the waist down, folks. It's not played with your arm. The guy, some of the best quarterbacks to ever do it have very average arms when it comes to quarterback play. But 
the footwork is just immaculate. And I think Jaron is one of those guys where as he gets better and better, that's one of the things that he's going to – if he stays with Dan Enos and they continue getting creative with things, the offensive line gets better, I think that's going to be something that you're going to see um, – continue to progress his health is a big issue and speaking you know we're talking about health you know um it's one of those things that if you're as long as you're healthy as long as you're available as one it's something that's an asset to you but with roman you can get a free online education and ongoing care uh for for ed all of those uh, all from the comfort and privacy of your home just go to getroman.com slash lock to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping again that is getroman.com slash locked now we're going to talk a little bit more about quarterbacks and uh, i know everyone loves the quarterback conversation because it's the whole back and forth thing uh, between uh, Nikosi and Jaron, the question I have for you, Cam, is: is who, who's transfer? Is is Nikosi at that at the point where it's time to hit that transfer transfer portal, or is there a last ditch effort? Maybe Jaron slips up a little, and we still have a competition, or do we wait and see? Uh, going into the spring, he's gonna, you know, we can these two guys will battle it out. Uh, Jaron will ultimately win it. And maybe Nikosi goes where he should be in a more up-tempo spread offense somewhere uh, throughout the country. Yeah, and I just wanted to clear up earlier when I said, you know, if Jaron is playing well, if I like it or not. That's because if you're just new to me and my mentality, I've been the captain of the Nikosi Perry fan club for many years, ever since we started recruiting him as a junior in high school. Same. That's where I came from. Uh, with it or the president of the fan club if you will so that's where that statement came from I do not hate the fact that anybody plays well for the Canes because I want to win regardless of if it's my quote-unquote favorite player or somebody else playing that same position who's doing it better to answer your question um, no this job is is Jared Williams's so that's this year that's next year you know if he stays for his redshirt junior year in two years Uh, but this is Jared Williams's job so uh, I think the more likely route would be uh, maybe Tate Martell looking to transfer again uh, to go somewhere else because we don't play the kind of offense that suits his skill set. Uh, and I think it might be wise if Tate thought about going elsewhere because the wide receiver um, experiment with him did not necessarily work. Uh, and Dan Enos, if he's going to be the offensive coordinator here, he's going to run what he runs, which, again, does not necessarily fit Tate's skill set. So I think that of the people, of the quarterbacks in the room, Tate would probably be more likely to leave. And, you know, Nikosi loves the U, and he said that many times. He said, you know, look, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to stay ready. Uh, so when my number gets called, like we saw this year, when he had to come in against Virginia Tech, he was ready. He was ready for that moment. Then, you know, the Pittsburgh game happened, and, you know, he – I think he was ready, but he just didn't play well. So, you know, that was his opportunity to really wrestle the job away from Jaron Williams, and he failed in that pursuit. Um, so we will really see where his heart lies, I guess, moving forward. But, yeah, for me, I think it's Jaron Williams' job, and he's earned that. And, hey, if he goes and keeps playing like this and keeps winning – that's going to shut everybody up, whether you are like me, who were a Nikosi Perry fan club or not. Um, and, yeah, we'll see if, if Nikosi sticks around. But if, if I were to look at somebody to maybe transfer, it might be Tate Martell. Um, yeah, just for the reasons I said. 
Yeah, I, I think it's going to be, like you said, a, a Tate Martell transfer. I think he didn't really work out at receiver. He might not be athletic or fast enough. I mean, there's a role for him if you want to take the ball and put him in more of a wildcat situation, team him up with a DJ Dallas or uh, at, at the in the future, uh, a Don Chaney Jr., that would be just – Unstoppable, I would think, um, because you have the passing aspect of things. But like, like you said, um, he doesn't Tate doesn't fit this type of offense. He would have been better suited to be at a school like an Ohio State, uh, even now, uh, like in Oklahoma. They they don't they throw the ball, but they they adjust as they have their as their quarterback is, and they may have another guy that uh, the Eric King might be there. That might be a good not be a good option for him. I'm not just I'm not like speculating a lot, but I have a good feeling he's going to be out there from Houston. So that might not be a good idea. Uh, You know, places like UCF run offenses that Tate could be really, really dangerous in. Uh, but you have to have a strong running game, uh, and if at a lower level, a lower level division, I'm not call. I mean, it is what it is. The um, the AAC is a lower level division uh, in in the in the FBS. But I think Tate could be successful in somewhere like that. Uh, Nikosi per se, I think he could be a special type of quarterback somewhere uh, like in Oregon, where they run those type of offenses, where it's it's a one read kind of deal. It's more of a, it's up tempo. You don't have to think much, read half the field. You have a strong running game, tons of misdirection. He'd be really special in a type of offense like that. But in this offense where you're expected to make reads, it's a pro style type of offense. Uh, don't get it twisted. What you saw at Alabama is what Miami is striving for. And I think that's what it's, but. Miami has this type of speed that can match what Alabama's doing in the future with when it comes to recruiting. And Jaron fits that kind of player. He has just enough athleticism to make you worry. Anytime he takes off, he can get to the perimeter. He can make a play uh, He in the zone read game. He's not just uber athletic, but he's just, he's good enough, and he has a more than enough arm. That's the, I was a big fan of him coming out of uh, out of Georgia. Uh, I thought he would have a chance to to compete. So, uh, and then Peyton um, and Taka, I really think he has this t- the skill set to actually follow up Jaron. It's just gonna take time. It's gonna take. He may be Peyton may be one of those guys that you know. He won't start until maybe his last year in school. Uh, he th- won't start. Yeah. Ooh. 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 I think that. I mean, I think that we've recruited over him with Tyler Van Dyke already. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peyton Matoka was just that. You that need Brit- to have a quarterback in every class. Yeah. You know, just so you're not in a Florida State issue where you know Willie Taggart was there for two full classes and never signed a high school recruit at quarterback. You got to have a guy, and we got you know Peyton Matoka for that reason, but. I think that we've clearly already recruited over him. I don't think that he's ever going to start here. Ooh, ouch. I saw a little few – from what I saw on his film, I actually liked um, a lot of his intangibles. He has a pretty decent arm, not a big arm. Um, but I don't really fall in love with guys that are just big arm guys like the the Jacob Eason's of the world where they can just throw it a mile and throw it through a brick wall but can't hit the backside of a barn. I don't fall in love with those guys. So, um, But de- decent feet. Uh, throws an okay deep ball. But uh, like you said, from what, I, from what we've seen, what we have coming in, uh, that may change. But, again, we've had the – the Jack Allison's of the world that you thought may be that guy. 
and didn't turn out to do anything and transferred and still hasn't done anything. So that's the weird part of recruiting when it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, the guy that you think is going to be a stud is definitely not a stud. So uh, and, definitely not a stud. And, right. I mean, and we'll see. Jack Allison is actually transferring again, again. <laughs> uh, by the way. I just saw that the other day. But uh, SB Nation, uh, a couple of years ago, they ranked the positions that are most are the toughest to project moving forward in the college level from high school. Number one is offensive line, and number two is quarterback. And I think that we're seeing both of those things play out. So, yeah, you know, that's why you do have to throw numbers at the issue. Um, and, again, I think that, you know, bringing in another four-star guy uh, in Tyler Van Dyke is a good move, uh, and it does recruit over Peyton Matoka, who can just be, you know, a program guy. Everybody's not going to start, you know, um, and that's okay. You know, and then he can be here for a couple of years maybe and then, uh, you know, go somewhere else and maybe play. Evan Sheriff did the same thing. He was a guy who Miami got after signing day a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, he had to play a couple snaps just because things fell apart in 2017 at Pittsburgh. Uh, but he was never a guy who, you know, we really thought was going to start here. And then he left and he went elsewhere. So I think that maybe down the line, Peyton Matoka could be that. Or maybe he could follow the same kind of production or uh, player development path of somebody like a Robert Knowles who was objectively not good for a long time in his career. And then this year is one of the more solid performers in the secondary. And, you know, maybe that's Peyton Matoka. Maybe it takes a couple, three, four years, uh, but then he is able to be the guy running the offense. But, you know, when, when you bring in a quarterback a year in the recruiting class, uh, which is the number one recruiting rule. I wrote about that a couple of years ago. So if you're, again, just new to me and my mentality, you can go on stateoftheu.com. That's the website that I run. And if you scroll down a little bit, I wrote a feature called the recruiting rules. The number one feature or the number one rule in the recruiting rules is you have to have a quarterback every year. And I will go into detail in that piece about why. Uh, but, yeah, when you bring in a guy like a Tyler Van Dyke, uh, that brings you up to five quarterbacks uh, in the room. If you have Jaron Williams, Nikosi Perry, Tate Martell, Peyton Matoka, and then uh, Van Dyke. If you lose one of those guys, then you still got four. And you can move forward, so you're always covered uh, and things like that. So we can see. Uh, maybe Matoka develops. Maybe, you know, Van Dyke, who can sit back there and flick of the wrist, throw it, you know, 65, 70 yards. Maybe he ends up being the guy. But I think that it would more likely be Van Dyke than Matoka it, down the line to start for Miami. Uh, good to know. Good to know. Uh, for me, I, and, and you're the recruiting guy, but I'm for me, I'm the NFL draft guy, and your, your rule is very much similar to mine uh, when it comes to running backs. I have a rule of never touch a running back in the first round. I don't care if his name is Emmett Smith. I don't care if his name is uh, Walter Payton. I don't care if his name is Eric Dickerson. The position is just a position where you don't get a lot of run throughout a 10-year period. It just doesn't justify it. And I can I can support that with tons of – First off, well, go ahead. Let me ask you this. Has, mm -hmm. has that changed over the course of time? Because as the game of football has developed, in the past, would you have taken those guys that high? or And then it's changed? Or have you always been, even back in the day when court, or running backs are getting 250, 300 carries a year from jump, you said, nope, don't do it. Don't touch them in the first round. Yeah, I've always been this way. Uh, I have okay. don't I don't believe in the whole – I like the two-back system. Uh, my first experience really, really getting a, a to really deep dive into that is the old Chiefs, uh, Chiefs offense where you had Trent Green. In the, as the trigger man, but also Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson. Yeah, I took it back a little bit. Um, yeah, when you that offense was just deadly because you could 
neither guy ever got tired. And once Priest Holmes moved on, you saw that Larry Johnson just he he had a really great year. And all my fantasy buffs are out there saying, "Yep, he had some good times. Those were some good times." <laughs> but the problem is, uh, you once he has that one great season where he has 350 carries, well, he's no he's worthless to you now. And he's going to catch injury after injury after injury. And I know uh, we can we can kind of talk to our NFL draft guys at Locked On NFL Draft. Uh, we'll kind of we might have a crossover episode to talk about that kind of thing. But uh, for me, I I just don't believe in bringing in running backs uh, with a high price tag because not only do you spend a, for a premium first round pick, you're also if he's really good now you have to spend big money on him. Uh, yeah, you get the fifth-year option, but nonetheless, you still got to spend big money on him. You have to focus your whole offense around him because you're gonna, you're not bringing in a guy like a uh, a Gurley or an Ezekiel Elliott or something. You're not bringing those guys in to just be another guy. You're focusing the whole offense around him, which means you have to bring an offensive line in that really can can block for him. You have to have receivers that can block for him. Your offense is completely if you're Dallas, if for example the Dallas Cowboys, you have to have a complete offense based around one guy. I don't like that. If I'm going to be – I can go get a guy in the later rounds. I can go get uh, a Terrell Davis in the late six, sixth round, seventh round, undrafted. Guess what? After four years, even if he's if he's a superstar, I can go – I'm going to run him in the ground for four years, franchise him for a year. In those four years, I'm still drafting a guy. I'm always drafting a running back every year, late rounds, and we're rinsing and we're repeating, and I'm not paying anybody. It's a numbers game. It's about money. It's not. A, I don't care if I'm the NFL GM. I don't care about what the fans think. I care about what my team is doing. And various teams, whether it's the Steelers, the Patriots, and I know we're really getting it into NFL here, and, uh, and and that's not what you guys are here for. But when it comes to rules of recruiting, rule, it's a little bit different when it's recruiting because you're not spending money per se but you're not uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you might be <laughs> you might be you really might be soon but you know uh with this whole with this whole paying players for their name and likeness but for the most part when it comes to that you're not spending money per se and resources on this person uh but and it's a whole different world when you're talking NFL draft to recruiting but still a lot of those same principles still kind of um apply and also I believe in draft a quarterback still I'm still that way also every year even if it doesn't work out you still got a guy in there for a couple years and you move on uh but um it's one of those things like you said uh bringing guys in and constantly rinsing and repeating that's always something that you have to do right and especially um at the college level because again you're only going to have those guys for a maximum of five years, six years, if you have an injury situation where they get, you know, a, a medical redshirt. So, yeah, you always have to be a little bit looking towards the future, uh, you know, when you're looking at, you know, building the roster and things of that nature. Definitely. So, coming up, we have on Thursday, we have, we call it thir- Throwback Thursday. Since you, if you're not familiar with the show, it's Throwback Thursday. We'll have a, either a former player. We'll be talking about moments in Hurricanes history, and we'll be talking a little bit more, but we can kind of jump in more into recruiting. That'll be a great time to do so. And of course, on Friday, we break it all down for you. Uh, it's senior day uh, for the Miami Hurricanes, last day for all of our for Shaq Quarterman and company. Uh, those linebackers, we're going to miss those guys. So we're going to send them out on with a bang. But also we're going to break down the whole thing the, from, from Miami strengths and weaknesses to Louisville strengths, strengths and weaknesses. And they are a pretty good team. Uh, the basketball team kind of gave it to us early, so we got to give it back to them on the football side. So uh, we'll be talking a little bit of that in the next couple of days. So stay tuned to us. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter at LockedOnCane. 
Haynes. You can find Cam on Twitter at Underwood Sports. You can find myself on Twitter at Fred Purdue CFB. Leave us your comments. Leave us your questions with the hashtag LOC Mailbag, and we'll answer those questions. Uh, we'll read some of your comments about the show on Friday in our mailbag segment. But for Cam, this uh, this is Fred Purdue. I am your host. This is the Locked On Canes podcast. It's all about the U, and we are out. <laughs>